Welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. How, how does your faith kind of play into it or does it play into it? What can be done about it? When I say the church, I'm talking about uh, evangelical white Christians and the black folk who attend their churches. Hello, welcome to the Thrive Podcast with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to either view this on YouTube or Facebook or listen to us on uh, iTunes, uh, Spotify, or Amazon Prime. As always, we welcome your input. You can reach out to me at fredjeffsmith at gmail.com. Fred Jeff Smith at gmail.com and let us know how we're doing and how we can make the podcast better for you. As we begin our seventh year of the Thrive Podcast, I'm very honored to have Ms. Sydney Simone here to share with us today. Ms. Simone, welcome to the Thrive Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank how are you today? I'm doing good. It's sunny outside. I'm feeling I'm feeling blessed and highly favored. And you brought some cold with you because you're you're a northerner and it's yeah. it's getting chilly outside. I guess I'm acting brand new to it because <laughs> it just the cold doesn't feel the same. Like this is what 40 if i'm looking at my watch 40 50s 40 50s up there feels warm okay down here this feels like 30. yes so, yes <laughs> i feel like i'm shivering a little bit but it's okay the sun is shining so we recently had uh your boss on uh mr john walton mm-hmm. and uh we talked about news media in baton rouge uh, he's actually from this area. Mm-hmm. You are not. So as someone who has migrated down this way, and I know you've mm-hmm. worked in several areas in the South, what are your thoughts about media here in Baton Rouge? Very um, interconnected, tight, um, tight as in, you know, you see a lot of the people out conversing, working together, uh, a lot of um politicians organizations people really get out and kind of converse with people mm-hmm. um they, they did that in houston as well um my experience in shreveport texarkana was a little bit different and it could have just been because i was starting out but and i know how to make connections and build relationships now but i like it you know um black power is very evident here um in a sense to where you know, you have your entrepreneurs coming together. You have your politicians, your mm-hmm. pastors, your educators, your, um, of course, I'm part of the media, your journalists. So mm-hmm. everybody coming together, whether it's at an event, it's a sporting, you know, hey, come support this, come support that. So I like it. You know, um, of course, my experience um, in the Midwest was all growing up. So. Mm-hmm. From like a media standpoint, it's a little bit different. But from talking from an adult and being a professional, you know, I can tell that you guys try to stay connected and build those relationships and cross paths with each other. Do you sense tribalism here more than in other places where you have served or less or is it about the same? Mm, About the same. About the same. What would you say from your perspective well i'm I'm a native i I was born and raised here spent a little time in new orleans but for the most part i've been here and from my perspective uh baton rouge 
politically and racially is about as tribal as you can get. And I was just wondering if you had the same perspective. Mm, I can, I can, uh, I will say a little bit more than others. Um, again, when I was in Shreveport, I worked in Shreveport a lot, but I also lived in Texarkana, Texas. Mm -hmm. I spent a little bit more time up there. It was smaller, so it was a little bit different. Um, Houston, um, it was a, it's a major city, so. Mm -hmm. It is. It's, um, but you'd connected. be amazed how many Baton Rougeans you really? would you wouldn't know that. But how yeah. many Baton Rougeans actually migrate to, to Texas, Texas uh, and, and yeah. to Houston in, mm -hmm. in, in particular? Uh, there there are several dozens of people mm -hmm. that come to my mind immediately uh, that that moved from Baton Rouge to Houston primarily. Uh, because of jobs, the petrochemical mm -hmm. industry, and things of that sort, but th there's a lot of Baton Rouge in Houston. I can see that. Yeah. yeah. When I um I, when I talk to people, they've either come here from Houston or are going back. Mm -hmm. When I was in the Shreveport, Texarkana area, a lot of people were going over to Dallas. Dallas. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I've did had, you see my cowboy stuff up there? I, did, I, I, I still have my cowboy's hat. There still, you go. You know, I, there you go. I'm not going to be able to wear it anymore this season, you know, but it's all good. We don't have to go there. We're just starting over for the 28th time. That's all. <laughs> I, I know, right? But, hey, the Detroit Lions made it in there. Yes, they did. First yes, time they in did. 30 plus years. And uh, I, I might actually pull for them a little bit. I think I it am. Depends on what happens to the Chiefs. My wife is from Kansas City. Right. She's a Chiefs fan. So as, Ooh, as soon as they are gone, then maybe I'll, I'll root for Detroit. We'll see. You know, I, was gonna say, I told someone earlier I'm going to go for the underdogs, but they were like, they're not counting on Detroit to be considered the underdog, which is very interesting. Well, they won their division, yeah, uh, so. which, which is unusual. Right. That's why uh, I considered them. I mean, it, it is unusual. They did win, but it's unusual for them to yeah, win the divisional. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I consider them the underdog. But, I understand. I you know, understand. I want them to win at heart, so... I don't want to ask you anything overly political, but I do want to ask you something mm -hmm. that I think is political, political adjacent. Okay. In Baton Rouge, uh, there seems to be a tendency among broadcast journalists mm -hmm. to move into politics. Uh, our former mayor, Kip Holden, uh, started off as a radio broadcaster at WXOK mm -hmm. here in Baton Rouge. Our current mayor, Sharon Weston Broom, mm -hmm. started off at WBRZ as a news reporter in this area. Most recently, Kelly Hennessy, now Kelly Hennessy Dixon, Dickerson, uh, was just elected to the State House, and she used to be a broadcaster for WAFB. What is it that you think about broadcasting uh, that draws people towards politics, towards actually, actually getting involved in politics? That's a good question. Um, that's a good question. And I think everyone, from a personal standpoint, has their own um, interests. But we work so closely. We work so closely with, you know, politicians, law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And I, it, this is just my own thought process. Not sure what everyone's mindset is. Is that as you start to tell these stories... Maybe you're developing your own um, passions or redefining your values or seeing the gaps of what's needed and what's not needed or what you can improve. Or, you know, of course, we have our own thoughts and opinions, but we're journalists, so we can't always say that. Right. But um, I guess crossing over would give you that opportunity to 
you know, change things mm -hmm. or express yourself or take a stand for what you believe in. So that's just my thought process. Um, and then, of course, the obvious, you guys are the capital. Like I said, just from uh, me getting out and conversing amongst people, I can see that the politician to media relationships here are pretty good. Mm -hmm. So I can see why people would make the transition mm -hmm. over um, just understanding, you know, um, how things work, you know, being in the courtrooms or covering stories or, you know, we spend a lot of time. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's funny, as I was growing up, at one point I wanted to be either some, something in law enforcement, FBI, investigative, uh, something in that. But then I quickly learned um, I do not like seeing everything that comes with it. So that crossed that off the list. But in a way, in my mind, I'm, I'm an investigative reporter at times. So I'm just covering it from a different perspective, a different lens. So I feel like it's very easy to cross sectors and paths. And that could be, you know, why people tend to go that route. You get a voice, you mm -hmm. know. We don't really have a voice. And depending on what type of media or platform, things are changing now. So, you know, you have different forms and styles of shows, podcasts, television broadcast where you people are paid to give their opinion but local reporters if we're talking about baton rouge we're journalists we're mm -hmm. telling both sides left and right so define for me or, or distinguish for me the difference between a news reporter and a pundit i heard sean hannity the other day mm -hmm. uh in an interview that he did with ted koppel trying to distinguish himself as a pundit as opposed to a news reporter. Mm. Uh, and so I, I, I was just curious. What are your thoughts on the distinction? Ooh, okay. Um, I would say a little bit more authenticity. You're, you're still telling the story you're still reporting on it mm -hmm. but you're able to give a little more perspective and context um in a different way does that perspective shade your point of view does it take it away could. I, okay. feel, I feel like it could and that's where i was going <clears throat> earlier with the yeah people who are paid to give their opinions right so that's a whole different conversation in itself but a reporter, you're just telling the facts. You're telling what is happening, what it is, like just what you know. You're mm -hmm. sticking to it. I do think we're slowly getting to a space to where people aren't maybe as, um, I'm trying to figure out the right word, as uptight or professional in that. You know, you're, you're able to be a little bit more authentic to who you are, but still tell the facts without giving your opinion, if that makes sense. Um, but I do think a reporter, a journalist, that's you're you're not included in the story um you're not giving your thoughts what you think of course we might think it you know we might talk amongst ourselves but it, it's never going to come out we're supposed to tell left and right tell both sides mm -hmm. otherwise it affects your credibility because mm -hmm. when you start in certain your opinion then you might have some people who may question whether those are the facts or you might have a certain group of people that might deviate towards you for your specific opinion so i don't know i feel like it's that's a tough one but i will say there's a difference between a journalist 
and uh, pundit, a spokesperson, commentators, that group of people, just like, in my opinion, nowadays, I feel like a reporter to MMJ, which is multimedia journalist, is a little bit different in a sense to where some people would say you're a reporter, you're just writing and talking versus a multimedia journalist, you know, you're editing, you're writing, you're shooting, you, you know, putting more into it. Some people are on the reporting side to where they're out just telling the story. Mm -hmm. That's it. You have some who are more involved in the creative process in terms of shooting, edit, editing, and being out in the field, which I do think um, nowadays you will see more multimedia journalists. I know maybe 10, 15, even 20 years ago, it was more so just reporter, but that's because you have photographers helping and sorts of things and so on and so on. You have worked out in the field mm -hmm. and you have worked in the studio mm -hmm. behind the desk. Which is your preference? Mm. I'm in the current process of trying to figure that out, which is why I, I think I appreciate my position right now because I'm still doing both. Um, so I'm a weekend anchor and reporter. So mm -hmm. weekends I'm anchoring and uh, weekdays I'm in the field. And I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, prior to this, before I went to Houston as a reporter, I actually went to Houston as a reporter because I wasn't sure if I wanted to go the anchoring route. And it's kind of tough because it's like the best of both worlds. You like them for different reasons. Like some days I want I want to be indoors. Some days I, I like to be out in the midst of what's going on, actually mm -hmm. seeing it, actually having, again, having some um, thought process and control of creative control over mm -hmm. how the story looks and how you tell it, which is what being in the field gives me the ability to do. But being inside anchoring, you connect a little bit more with the viewer from a personal standpoint. It's you and the viewer, you and that team of people that were in the studio. So it's a little bit more of a connection, in my opinion. Um, it, anchor. Anchor, if you think about it in terms of a ship, holds people down. So you're mm -hmm. guiding the show in terms of how it flows. If it's something is off, you have to keep your control and your composure to make sure that, you know, it's still coming across and coming off in a way that people still get the message. So two different fields, but people ask me, which one do you prefer? I think it just depends on your personality. I think I enjoy both for different reasons. With local news, mm -hmm. is there as uh, persistent a desire to make profit as there is with national news? When you watch CNN, Fox, mm -hmm. MSNBC, uh, they're 24-hour news stations, but they're really designed to make money mm. more than they are to deliver news. I'm an early riser. I get up at mm -hmm. 4 o'clock every morning. When I turn on MSNBC at 4 o'clock, I'm getting pretty much what the news is going to be throughout the day. Mm -hmm. I can check back in at 8, at noon, mm -hmm. at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Whatever they started with at 4 a.m., that's what it's going to be at the end of the mm -hmm. day. And I know that something happened. Mm -hmm. Something happened right, somewhere right. that they could deviate from right. this pattern. But their goal seems to be making money as opposed to dispensing information. Am I wrong in that? Or, or, or help, help me out okay. with that. I've had this, this conversation comes up a lot amongst people I talk to. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with a local perspective. Okay. 
Um, again, this is my thought process and just how I've kind of sat back and thought about, you know, just from listening to people in the community and viewers and how they perceive. Because the first thing that comes to mind for them, like you just said, is, oh, y'all just care about making money. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Not trying to, you know, be shady, but this is local news. Like, you know, right. look where we are compared to CNN. Look what, you know, the platforms they have. So it's, it's almost like night and day in a sense. We are more hands-on into the community. We don't have any incentive, any, um, and I can't speak for everyone. I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but from the newsrooms that I've been in, there's no set agenda. Um, Now there, I will say in some local newsrooms, there was a thing during the Black Lives Matter movement, some companies, there was a thing where they, you know, told, um, they were telling reporters how to script and what to say in their scripts. So that was a little bit confusing. And I know some people, in terms of on social media or a little bit upset about that but from a standard local journalist perspective we don't i don't get paid to try to persuade you i don't get paid enough to do that okay. <laughs> like you know i i don't i don't that's not my goal that's not our intent we literally just want to tell the stories that matter most to the people that live in that area which is why i tell people it's important to when we do surveys and things like that, tell people what you want to see. But the thing is, people say they don't watch news or they don't like local news because you turn it on, it's bad, it's depressing. But when we do these studies, believe it or not, that's the first thing. What do you want to see or what do you want to know about? The crime in the area. But then you're telling us, yeah, I don't like the news because we're reporting on the shootings and the crime and the, the things like that. But, you know, it's a, I get it. It's all about balance. And nowadays we have overload of information with social media and you know it's easily you can be easily affected by it from a mental health perspective so I get it but going back to your question um, we our focus is community you know we don't have um, any set motive or pay or money to um influence you one way or another at least at this particular market this particular level again i can't speak yeah baton rouge is a generally small market right uh, well it's i would say mid-size but you have wfb you have wbrz mm-hmm. and then you have 33 44 mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty much some kind of a conglomerate right uh i lived here all my life mm-hmm. always had wfb mm-hmm. it was once locally owned mm-hmm. uh now it's some part of some network WBRZ also locally mm-hmm. owned I remember when 33 came on the air it was WBRT mm-hmm. at the time and then mm-hmm. later 44 came on the air they intentionally stayed away from news uh, mm-hmm. uh, so for us even though there were three stations there was really only two news uh, mm-hmm. outlets and you either liked channel 2 or channel Mm-hmm. Nine. Now that you guys are fully invested in uh, news, as you are, mm-hmm. uh, you guys still have a lot of ground mm-hmm. to make up as far as uh, ratings mm-hmm. are concerned. Not trying to be mm-hmm. ugly, just right, stating right. facts. So does not profit come into ratings? And yeah. I, I didn't forget what my original question yeah, was. Yeah, I was, I was back, trying okay. to get back around okay. to it. I figure if you're the number one ranked news station, mm-hmm. you draw more money than number two or number three. Mm-hmm. So that that doesn't play into what it you does, all do. It does, but 
of course with any any business entertainment i know we just had the sack after after strike it's all it's a business at the end of the day so mm-hmm. yes money has to be made in order to keep the lights on and keep it going uh, that is true. You do get, and, you know, more viewership does equate to more money, but more viewerships means you can sell more commercials, sell mm-hmm. more sponsorships. The sponsorships, the commercials, that brings in the money to the station. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're able to do that is to say, well, we have this set amount of viewership. But things are changing, and this is where I know a lot of with the SAC after they've been talking about the streaming, it's kind of similar to us as we, we start to transition a lot to digital this is where it's starting to get blurry, trying to, even with the ratings. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and I could be wrong, I don't want to speak prematurely, but I know one of the companies who gives us our ratings are, uh, may or may not be doing that anymore, but you get your ratings based on cable boxes, cable TV. A lot of streaming nowadays, you have people that get stuff from social media websites. We stream on our websites. Um, page view so just trying to figure out the way to equate that correctly to a mm-hmm. dollar amount and track that because the numbers and it's funny because I was looking at the numbers across the board in terms of ratings if you total the amount of ratings for we have for cable news for the whole area across all the stations it still doesn't equate to the population mm-hmm. which I know about I would say about one-fourth of the population is watching news in the area based on what I saw. I think we mm-hmm. have, um, and I Googled it the other day, about 222,000 people in Metro Baton Rouge area. Total across, this is just one sh- uh, one show I looked across. So when I looked across the 10 p.m., if I added it up amongst all the stations, it's about fifty to 60,000 people. Okay. So you mean to tell me only fifty to 60,000 people are watching news every day? That could be true. But if so, that that's even a different issue, one-fourth of the population, but I think there's no way to for us to properly track whether people are watching it on Fire Stick, whether they're getting it from Hulu, Peacock, wherever. And I think that's a issue across a lot of the entertainment and TV right now is trying to track that. But at the end of the day, yes, you do have to make money and trying to figure out how to make money on the internet, on digital platforms, the way they used to be able to do it, or technically we're still doing it, the way you do it on cable. So if we're talking from a national perspective, again, larger platforms, they have the money to invest into um, their journalists, their commentators, marketing, promotion. Mm -hmm. So yes, the, the... Agenda could be different mm-hmm. from a large, from a national news perspective, um, but again, it goes back to the outlets, the platforms that you tune into, that you follow, that you watch, and why you watch certain platforms and outlets. For what are you looking to get mm-hmm. when you turn on WFB, WBRZ, WGMB, WVLA? We're news. You know, you're going to get your local news for Baton Rouge. You know, that wasn't always the case with you guys. Right, uh, right. Uh, they they were funneling in news that was actually being produced in a different part mm-hmm. of the country. I'm glad that it's back to being local. Are you frustrated? How long have you been in Baton Rouge, if you don't mind my A little bit over a year. Okay. For almost the entire time that you've been here, if not the entire time that you've been here, uh, 33, mm-hmm. uh, WVLA, when I was a kid, mm-hmm. went to the BRT, uh, has not been on 
DirecTV, and I'm a DirecTV mm-hmm. subscriber. Mm-hmm. Is that frustrating to you as someone who's an employee of uh, that news station? I mean, yeah. I mean, it is just because we know that we want to reach as many people as we can. Right. Um, but unfortunately, it is, like, out of our control. So. But it does affect your ratings. It does. Because, uh, yeah, because, you know, whoever that group of people is that used to get that particular news segment on that station, yeah. So right. that does take away from our numbers. Um, that is something on, like, a higher corporate level, our corporate, you know, conversing with the, the company, that particular cable company. But, yeah, it does um, – It's it could be frustrating just knowing, like I said, we're not reaching everybody that we could mm-hmm. or our loyal viewers when you have people who – do watch you and do support you and you know they can't get their programming but you know our hope is that that issue will be you know resolved soon sound just like mr walton (laughs) (laughs) when he was here we hope that it'll be resolved yeah yeah i was reading your uh bio i was reading Mm -hmm. information from your uh your website and you talked about being an effective storyteller and mm-hmm. that caught my eye what in your opinion is an effective storyteller and how is it that you meet that need understanding one that we're human first you know we could want the story we can want to get the views understanding that of course we have pressure on us which is a lot of people don't understand to get the story but I'm never going to put the person I'm interviewing, you know, for example, um, being compassionate. Like, you know, when we're out doing a story on a crime scene or someone that just lost a loved one, you know, of course, at the end of the day, it is our job to get the story. So Mm -hmm. we have to get the story, but in a way that connects with people, being able to do it in a way to where um, you're not invading, you know, but still being true and getting what you need, getting the facts, getting um, the full picture, the full truth. But being an effective storyteller to me is connecting with people, getting that emotion, the raw emotion. And just remembering at the end of the day, you're human. People connect with authenticity. You know, if they can see, people relate to each other. We, We relate to one another in some way. So by telling someone's story, you don't know who's live, how many people's lives it will touch or impact and what story may lead to something else. But trying to tell it through writing, but also visually tell the story. So being able to communicate the message effectively visually, but also audibly as well. So it, it's it's then that's where I go back to the, the multimedia journalist. Um Um, topic you know we're shooting we're editing we're writing so combining all those elements to tell one story and we're doing it sometimes anywhere from like 110 on an average day 110 to 130 so you don't really have a lot of time on an Mm -hmm. average day unless you're doing an, an extended piece but being able to incorporate the truth and the human side the emotion for me from a personal standpoint emotion is what facts and emotion makes the story 
In your journalistic history, you have done some sports journalism, an extensive mm -hmm. amount of sports journalism. Do you like sports journalism as opposed to uh, more community, political, business type things? Or is it just part of the stage that you had to go through in order to get to where you're going? You know, I'm just, like I said, I'm just going where God takes me. Um, at first, um, I was interested in sport. I wouldn't say I'm not, make it sound like I'm not, but I went to school with the intent that I was going to go into sports journalism. Okay. Um, but it didn't work out that way right away. I graduated in May, September rolled around. I didn't have a job yet in news, or I'm sorry, in uh, in sports. Mm -hmm. So just talking to people, they're like, oh, you should put put a, put a news application, in which I've been hearing that, but I kind of kept putting it off with the hopes that I would get into sports. And that was actually my one application I put to news was to Mr. John Walton when he was in Shreveport. <laughs> and, you know, he called me. And I was like, huh, who is this? And he was like, oh, this is John Walton, you know, I'm in Shreveport. Didn't know what Shreveport was. Didn't know where Texarkana was. And so he actually offered me a job for news based on a sports reel. <laughs> I didn't even have a news reel because I just, I just knew I was going to get into sports. So mm -hmm. sports came from, like, being a, a, I was an athlete my whole life. What sports? Uh, basketball and track. Okay. So at one point I was thinking of sports management, but I still liked, I always had my hand in production and tech and stuff. So Were you I, a sprinter or a distance runner? Sprinter. sprinter. Yeah, I'm not running no mile. Mm -mm. <laughs> not running no mile, but <laughs> so I've always loved, I still love sports, still mm -hmm. love basketball, still a huge supporter of women's basketball. And so um, I got into news and I, I loved it and fell in love with it. I've always liked storytelling. I think that's the thing with sports for me. Um, if I do decide to cross back over, I like to connect to people. I like to tell the story, mm -hmm. the, 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 the story behind the athlete. Of course, we can report on the stats, statistics, and the game itself. Mm -hmm. But when you walk into that, walk out of that locker room and take your jersey off, your helmet off, what's going on at home or what, what, what led you here? You mm -hmm. know, and this comes from just having other friends and athletes and seeing, you know, what they went through. So um, I have a feel like I have a unique calling or a unique lane I would like to be in when it relates to sports. Um, I did try to dibble and dabble in it in Shreveport for like a brief moment, but pandemic hit and and I'm going back into news. So I I like it here. I like it where I'm at because um, I still get to connect with people. And if God takes me back to sports, cool. If not, I'm cool where I'm at. And this is a huge sports community mm -hmm. uh, between LSU and Southern uh, football, basketball, baseball, track mm -hmm. and field. Yeah. Uh, Baton Rouge is kind of a sports mecca. Yeah. Uh, in your journalistic pursuits, somewhere along the line, you saw it necessary to form an LLC, I which tells me that you, somebody impressed upon you the importance of the business side of I what did, it is yeah. that you're doing. Tell me about your LLC. So uh, this is, I would say, something that God has probably manifested in me since I was a kid. I remember growing up, I would write Sydney Simone Entertainment on my pictures or my journals, not even understanding or realizing. I didn't even, at that point, think of like having an, an entertainment LLC business company mm -hmm. or anything like that. I was just writing it. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, as I got older, talking to my dad and just different people, 
And a lot of times I hear in the business, you know, you have to take care of the business. It's a business, you know, understanding the contracts. So for me, it was one trying to make sure starting with protection um, as I'm starting to I have a podcast that I do a sports podcast. But as I'm starting to make content and do things, I want to make sure one, I'm learning and understanding, but also protect and ownership protection mm-hmm. and ownership are the two when i listen to other people either in business or in media those are the two words i hear protection ownership and so i feel like starting an llc is just to start to um a long line of ownership then it comes trademarks patents copyrights and things like that so mm-hmm. for me it's one teaching myself expanding my own thought process and just understanding because i do want to do other business ventures outside of media but i feel like um this is a way to protect my ideas protect my craft and branch out. So I did uh, start LSC this past summer, stepped out on faith. It's something I've been thinking about doing, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, it's uh, the process can be kind of scary when you don't know. So just been figuring it out as I go along. Well, I think that's, <laughs> that, that's a wonderful thing. And uh, I'm glad to see that you're thinking along those lines. Um, what's your relationship like with your colleagues here in Baton Rouge. I know you've been here for a year, mm-hmm. uh, but you have colleagues both mm-hmm. within your own newsroom and across the mm-hmm. other newsrooms. Is there camaraderie? Is there mm-hmm. competition? Is there genuine friendship? H- how does that work? I feel like just like in any other workplace or environment, you know, you just have people you gravitate towards too and not to say that you don't gravitate to the others for any particular reason. I think the newsroom I currently work in is is everyone pretty much, you know, talks to everybody, you know, hello, friendly newsroom. Mm-hmm. Um, private relationships outside of that, I don't know about that in terms of everybody else. But I have friends at other stations, at BRZ, at uh, AFB within my station mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, we get together, converse, meet up. Um <laughs> uh, yeah. You're not trying to beat anybody out for a story or anything. No, like that. no. And, well, at least not for me. That's not my never been my motto. I feel like what's for me is going to be for me, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, but you know, it's good to converse with one another. You know, have like-minded people who understand the business, understand mm-hmm. what you do. You know, people you can talk to, and just um, having a set group of people. And for me, my first friends since I'm not living anywhere near home have been in the newsroom. They start in the newsroom mm-hmm. and then go outside of my newsroom as I'm going to events or other organizations outside of the newsroom. I'm meeting other journalists and other people and reporters who work at different stations and it becomes your friends and people you talk to on a daily basis. And I think you do need that support. Again, it's only so many of us out of this, um, in this area. And then when we break it down into black journalists, it's even smaller. So it's important that you do lean on each other and stick together if you can. So that's what I try to do and make the best of it. You made a statement just a second ago, um, like-minded people who understand the business. Mm -hmm. I am not from the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sometimes I'm reminded Mm -hmm. of that by people who are from the business, (laughs) that I'm not from (laughs) the business. Mm -hmm. What overriding thing would you say somebody like me misunderstands about being in the journalism and the news business? Um, I would say one, like, time, 
schedule um, pressure so time like sometimes our schedules are all over the place um the topics that we have to cover the stories that we cover um and when I think about it from maybe like a dating standpoint I know just talking to other friends and people sometimes it can be hard to you know date in this industry or mm -hmm. especially when we're moving around people who know we have to migrate understanding that you may be here with another reporter who's miles and miles away from home so that understanding that um understanding like the pressure we fall under every day in terms of meeting deadlines getting stories and things like that um a high stress but sometimes gonna be a very high reward job if you go into the grocery store as i imagine you would from time mm -hmm. to time you run across somebody who recognizes you mm -hmm. and they say i didn't like the way you did that story mm -hmm. What is it that they didn't understand about what you did that they're, they may be upset with you about, inappropriately upset with you about? From my understanding, um, I've never had that happen in public. Okay. <laughs> I've okay. had the opposite. I, I saw a good story, good job. But from my experience, what I have learned is one, there's a difference between not liking something mm -hmm. and something being done incorrectly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sometimes we'll run a story on the web, on air, and you'll, you know, the every, you know, we're human, we make mistakes. Sometimes the headline might be written incorrectly or the story, something may have came off different. That's, that's where we have an issue. But if I tell everything correct, the facts are correct. I, when we interview you, we're writing based on what you say in that interview. So if you got your facts wrong, because you're the trusted person that we're going to for information, you are the expert on whatever I'm interviewing you on. Mm -hmm. I'm the medium. I'm just responsible for communicating the message from you to the viewer. So whatever you say, we're trusting that you have your facts correct. Of course, we have to double check and go behind that sometimes and make sure it lines up. But if it all lines up based on what we have and we tell the story... <clears throat> Again, we're supposed to tell both sides. Some people don't like the other side. Right. So then it becomes a, I don't like that. You didn't do this well. Well, no. Did you not like it? Which is fine. Tell me that you don't like something because then you're not hurting my feelings. Where I, my, where I might get a little sensitive is where you're accusing me of incorrect information or right. not liking it because you think it's wrong. Right. Especially if I took the time to make sure it's right. So sometimes people, especially depending on the topic, People's emotions get caught up in sure. it, and that's where that projection of "I don't like the" or that reference you had in the grocery store will come from. You know. Let me use this as an example. Uh, as we're sitting here now, this will be a couple of weeks late mm -hmm. to what happened today. Okay. The school superintendent, mm -hmm. uh, Cito Narcisse, mm -hmm. stepped down today. Mm -hmm. uh, it'll be official on Monday, but he announced that he was stepping down. Uh, as a reporter, mm -hmm. I would imagine your job is simply to share the facts. Mm -hmm. uh, what led to this, mm -hmm. uh, how we got there, mm -hmm. uh, and what the action was. He mm -hmm. decided to step down. Mm -hmm. If I'm watching that and I'm in favor of the superintendent, Mm -hmm. And I run across you in the grocery store, mm -hmm. and I say, "Why didn't you say this about Narcisse? Why didn't you, why, why didn't you investigate about that? They've been trying to get him 
for a long time. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that. I'm not mm-hmm. saying yeah, that. Yeah. I'm simply saying that that might be someone's mm-hmm. point of view. Mm-hmm. And if they approach you with that, what would your response be? It can be a different response, different responses. One could be, we did not know about X, Y, and Z, whatever you're referring mm-hmm. to. We have uh, checks and balances, meaning we have people we have to report to in terms of bosses or people, editors, people that look over our script. So maybe I did want to talk about whatever you were referencing, but if I get it sent off to someone where I have to get my script approved mm-hmm. and they tell me to take that piece of information out, well, then I can't air that but it's not that i don't want to include it you don't know that as a viewer you don't know that but so you're not always the final determiner of what goes on there you go out and make a report but somebody else has to go back and edit it or well and sometimes certain things come out are are, are, are taken out or change yeah so like i can submit my script and it it's mainly there to make sure you don't say anything wrong, to protect you, to protect the station. So mm-hmm. it's to make sure you didn't say any wrong dates, names, things like that. Mm-hmm. But if there is some questionable, like, ah, this piece of information could rock the boat, or we're not sure if we want to air this yet, it's premature, they can say, well, take that out of your story. So then I would, I'm doing what I'm told, I will take that mm-hmm. out. So yeah, there is an approval process that your script goes through. So again to the viewer it may look like i left it out and that's what people don't necessarily the average person doesn't understand and that's what i was trying to get to yeah Th- the, things that i might not understand yeah there's a whole process behind the scenes but <coughs> at the end of the day which is what journalists and anchors and reporters try to you know convey back to you know other people in the newsroom the managers whoever mm-hmm. is that like you're the face so at the end of the day everybody doesn't understand they blame you because that's who they see mm-hmm. that's who's telling the story um, so again, it's all situational. It's, it's, this industry is very subjective. Um, not to say that everybody is clean. I can't speak with everybody in the media. You know, you may have journalists, even though you're not supposed to, who are naturally biased or more unbiased. It just depends. You may have publications, broadcast. Are shows. we unfair when we draw conclusions that you guys have a bias? Uh, do you think the, the, the news the, in Baton Rouge has a bias? There is a particular news reporter, mm-hmm. uh, not at your station, mm-hmm. who I think most assuredly has a bias. And I've never had a conversation with him in my life, but I hear a bias and that can happen. In, in his reporting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's unfair on my part to assume that there is a bias without having actually spoken with this person? Yes and no. Yes, because... You don't know where that bias is coming from. It could be the person or it could be that particular station or that particular group of people that he's working with. Like I said, I don't know if his bias is coming necessarily directly from his mouth, his thoughts, his ideas, mm-hmm. or well, he or she, I don't know what you're referring to. It's a he. Or um, if <laughs> I don't it's, mind telling you it's a he. If it's coming, but I won't call his name. <laughs> I don't know if it's coming from that person or if it's coming from their team. You know, you don't know mm-hmm. um, unless you talk to him or you know you could fill it out for yourself but i will say there are instances where naturally sometimes depending on where you come from your your topic it's not supposed to come out it's not supposed to come out that way but at the end of the day we're human especially if somebody feels strongly about particular topics Mm -hmm. even though they may not intentionally be writing it that way it still might come out because they obviously put so much faith and whatever their beliefs are into whatever they're talking about. So 
again, no, it's not supposed to happen, but there are instances where it happens. And again, certain uh, publications or networks, you know, people, everybody has their own style or people watch just like people watch Fox, NBC, ABC, um, what are the CBS? Everyone watches, mm-hmm. has their own that they gravitate to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those networks and publications may not think they have biases, but my question to would to you would be why do you watch this is just an example why sure. do you watch nbc over cbs mm-hmm. or why do you watch fox over abc mm-hmm. you know i watch msnbc because i'm a progressive liberal uh sometimes moderate don't mm-hmm. care for fox at all mm-hmm. we'll watch cnn from time to time i've been told that I should watch News Nation, that they're more fair and balanced. Mm-hmm. We are. So, some of the News others. Nation is our uh, is our national. Okay. Well, we, I, uh, so, I did not know that. So, like, for people to understand, is a lot of the, on a local level, so at the top, which is national, you have ABC, NBC, CBS, all the top. Right. Um, those are the networks, O&O. Um, own and operated, O&O. But then you get into your local markets, and you have companies that own these stations. Mm-hmm. So, for example, um, you have NBC here, which is owned by my company, um, Nexstar. But then if you go down to New Orleans, you have NBC, WDSU. Um, forgive me, I do not know who they're owned by. Uh, but they might either be owned by another company, a different company, mm-hmm. which I don't want to speak, so I want to say what their company could be. Or they can be O&O, which is owned and operated. If you're O&O, that means you're owned. So they could either be owned by NBC itself or they can be owned by some other third-party type of company. Um, Nexstar is one of the largest media groups in the country and that our national network is News Nation. Mm-hmm. And their whole thing is, again, just storytelling, unbiased, you know, even down the middle because the word from the viewers have been some other shows have become too far left or too far right. And again, my question was, why do you gravitate? So naturally, like I said earlier, naturally I feel like sometimes it may not be the intent or it may not start out one way, but if you have particular people that have, uh, you know, different backgrounds, cultures, opinions, it, it will bleed into the product. I'm not interested in being totally neutral. Mm-hmm. I, I have a bias, and mm-hmm. I don't mind listening to people who share that bias. I just think that sometimes there's an overload, and you want to hear something from the other side. Mm-hmm. But if I want to listen to the other side, almost never will it be Fox, mm-hmm. because those people, as far as I'm concerned, are radical and crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I find News Nation to be less balanced than I have been told Mm -hmm. they are, but they're far better than a Fox Mm -hmm. uh, broadcast. I watch it from time to Mm -hmm. time. Uh, But when it comes to local news, Mm -hmm. which I expect to be far more balanced Mm -hmm. uh, than national news, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it is frustrating to me that... I sense a bias from certain anchors at certain stations. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if the bias is because of who owns them as opposed to the actual bias of the person 
who's speaking. Yeah, and, I and that's spend, hard. That's I hard to way say. Way too much time thinking about that instead yeah. of actually dealing. It's hard to know with the story. Yeah, that, that that's really yeah, that's a tough one, and you don't know unless you know the person personally, mm-hmm. obviously. So it's really hard in that regard. It is hard to say whether it's coming from the person, the station, or the company. Mm-hmm. You know, you have three different factors that it could be. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's really hard to say. You know, you've mentioned God and faith a couple of times since mm-hmm. we've been talking. Can you share with me what your faith? how your faith impacts who you are and the work that you do? Well, I probably would have let go a long time ago. Um, it's not a easy industry to be in, mm-hmm. to get in at that. Um, but, you know, you're not supposed to put anything on a pedestal, which I get, but we have to live. And starting out, especially when you're coming out of college, you don't make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I have friends that come out of college, and they were like engineers, business. You know, they tell me make 80, 90K coming out of school. That's not my reality. Mm-hmm. But then when, when I think about, okay, well, what else can I go do? I don't know, because I feel like this is my passion, what I'm supposed to be doing, at least until I get other, here otherwise. So then it's like, okay, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. So let me trust the process. Um I've moved miles and miles away from home, no friends or family. So, again, I'm trusting the process. Mm -hmm. You see stuff, you hear stuff on a daily basis. You have to have something to keep you grounded. Um, You experience things in different environments and newsrooms and areas. You're crossing paths with different people. Things may not be all as butterfly or rosy as they may be, but as long as I know I had that foundation, something to fall back on, it keeps me pushing and knowing that this is, you know, this is just another stop on the journey. Mm -hmm. It's not the final destination. So um, something to keep me going, pretty much. I'm 62. I'm probably close to three times your age. I tend to look at everything through a filter of race. Mm Mm-hmm race and economic injustice. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest son is 29. Mm-hmm. My youngest is 26. Mm-hmm. They don't always see things the way that I see them. Mm-hmm. You're closer to their mm-hmm. age group. How do you see things? What, what, what's the primary filter for you? For me, the primary filter is race and economics. What for you is the primary filter for your outlook on life? Do you mean like um, in terms of... As a professional and and the challenges that you face as a professional, as just an everyday human being walking up and down the streets of our community for as long as we can keep you till you decide to go someplace else. How is it that you look at life? Mm -hmm. When when something happens, when, 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 when a black kid is shot uh, on the streets at two o'clock in the morning by a police officer. How do you filter that? Uh, uh, when you're deciding where you want to live mm-hmm. in the community, where, where, where you want to buy your home mm-hmm. or where you want to recreate, where you go to shop, where mm-hmm. you go to the movies, what's the filter through which you, what, mm. what's the lens through which you look at life and make those decisions? I would say economics. Um, I would like to say um, just comfortability, 
um, wherever I feel comfortable and aligned is where I would say it's not necessarily like black or white. I've grew up in predominantly black communities, areas, and I've lived in diverse areas. Mm-hmm. I've gone to predominantly black um, schools and I've gone to um, PWIs. I've gone to diverse schools. So it's not so much about the race for me. It's about where I feel comfortable, where I feel valued, and where I feel respected and treated um, as such. Unfortunately, depending on the circumstances and where you are, race does come into play, but Mm -hmm. I'm not necessarily looking for that. It's about, you know, where I can get the best quality of life for me. When you are deciding next steps Mm -hmm. for your career Uh, you've lived in large cities Houston's the fourth largest city in the country you now live in Baton Rouge which I believe is somewhere around 64 65 Mm -hmm. in the nation a much smaller Mm -hmm. community where do you think you're going to finally firmly plant your feet um only God would tell but I would hope you know, I've had my top five cities. Um, I will hope to stay in the South, and I will hope to go back to Really? A, yeah, I will hope to stay in the South, go back to a bigger market. If I go back, you know, up North or Midwest, you know, I wouldn't mind. Again, I was born in Detroit, grew up outside of Chicago, so I wouldn't mind going back to Chicago or maybe even Detroit. If the money and the opportunities are right, I'll go to New York. But to settle, probably the South, I'll more than likely settle in the South. A lot of my family that left the Midwest came down to the south more so georgia atlanta and alabama but maybe i wouldn't mind going back to texas i really like texas so um we'll see you know we'll see but i do want to move up to bigger opportunities bigger platforms um yeah we'll see hopefully you know maybe one day i'll make my way back to houston you're a delta i am how how does that impact you uh my wife is an AKA, mm-hmm. so I know that there's, I'm none of them, none of the above. <laughs> uh, but I know that for those who are in the Divine Nine, mm-hmm. it has a special meaning to them. Can you share with me what it means to be a part of Delta Sigma Theta? Sisterhood, wherever you go, connection. You have something to fall back on. It's something that adds meaning and value. Um, you know, hands that work in the community. I know if I move to Houston, I don't know if I go to Atlanta, if I go to Chicago, Detroit, I have that set community wherever I go to fall back on. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a part of something that is active in the community, trying to actively make a difference, much like a lot of the other organizations, all the organizations in the Divine Nine. Um, It's structured, you know, adds something for me to relate to again outside of work outside Mm -hmm. of being away a group of women who have a lot of the same uh, morals and values you know um, same beliefs Um, again I can sit and talk with women you know college educated women who you know we are everywhere Mm -hmm. you at deltas or people of that vine on in all sectors of life you have in the media medical field business you know, and I get to learn and grow and hear different perspectives and share um, different things with different groups of women from all over. 
So. Are you active here since you've been here? Or? No. Okay. I'm still a member at large. Gotcha. Um, but I have uh, gone and visited with the chapters. Okay. And that that's the hard thing, too, for me, just because I have been moving around lately a lot. So it's like when I get somewhere, I start to plant roots, I kind of move again. Mm-hmm. So that's been the tough part about that. Um, but just knowing that they are there and they have reached out and opened, you know, their doors, that, mm-hmm. that is definitely means a lot. So if I stay here a little bit longer, I will definitely be <laughs> joining along with one of the chapters here. But, you know. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and share with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you've made our seventh uh, uh, year. You've, you've, you've kicked us off very well. And I really appreciate it. hope you come back again. Thank you for having me. This has been a good conversation. Good. Appreciate it. (laughs) Thank Thank you for viewing. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next time.